you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Welcome to another episode of Electric People. You guys, we have Chris Dawson on the podcast today, Chief Operating Officer of Sunrun. How you doing, Chris? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're excited, man. Where are you right now? Just at home, uh, working as I think many of us do nowadays, but working at home uh, in Oakland, in Oakland, California. You're up in Oakland, and Adam and I were excited because sometimes we have a little bit of a delay, and we've got a no-delay situation right now. So, Yep, we got a new studio, we got a whole new setup, thanks to Andrew. The man behind the camera. The man behind the camera, he makes it all happen. That's exactly right. Um, Chris, how long have you been with Sunrun? Going on four years now. Okay. Uh, joined back uh, late 2017. Um, and from side conversations and dinners and stuff, I'm actually pretty fascinated by your career path to Sunrun. A lot of us, you know, Adam and myself and a lot of guys that listen to this podcast, we're, we're lifers, right? We got into this company a long time ago. We've stayed and have been here. But uh, our executive team, you guys bring really interesting perspective because you've been in such different organizations. But um, I want to I touch on some of these. So you were with Bombardier for over 10 years. And... Um, yeah, close to yeah, 17, 18 years. 17 right? or 18 years. Okay, so jet skis yeah. and, and snowmobiles and personal fun crafts, we'll call them. So what what was yeah. what were some of the projects that you worked on on there? Let's go through some of the fun ones. Yeah, sure. So uh, most notable for me, actually, was the uh, Spider three-wheel motorcycle, the Can-Am Spider. Uh, so that was a project that was conceived back in the late 90s. Uh, by the time 2004 rolled around, um, we had just been, as a company, taken private. So we had been part of uh, Bombardier or Bombardier, as folks say. Oh, I said it wrong. Uh, it's Bombardier, the, he says. Yeah, That's his well, way to know, tell me that a, I'm sounding like a... <laughs> my Canadian roots have to... Uh, it's not Bombardier, it's Bombardier. Uh, <laughs> So it's uh, so they used to be part of the, a bigger entity that had planes and trains, so Learjet and uh, Canada Air Regional Jets and all that, uh, as well as uh, uh, train uh, train division, and uh, that the recreational products division was carved out of that and taken private. And uh, at the time, um, we had a staple of products: the snowmobile, the watercraft, the so ski do snowmobiles, sea do watercraft. Uh, we had an ATV all-terrain vehicle business, um, and uh, we also had Evinrude outboard engines at the time. And we wanted to diversify. We wanted to do it in our way. And our company, that company, is really focused on innovation. They really focus heavily on innovation. And it's one of the things that first attracted me to the business, and then I got a chance to live it. And so the three-wheel motorcycle was a project. Uh, that uh, was was a concept forever, and I wasn't sure that we were going to launch it. And I took it over as uh, as lead on the project when we had it was it was overweight and over budget and what have you, uh, and we just concentrated the right people from engineering from design on it and uh, spent uh, the better part of a year or two really understanding the consumer mindset behind it and then how we can shape the product to meet that consumer mindset at a cost that can make sense, and we ended up launching it uh, in two thousand and eight. Uh, Launched at a Miramar Air Force Base with Jay Leno, had a great event. Wow. And, uh, 
and it quickly emerged as, as one of the big businesses at that time for BRP, uh, big leading, you know, emerging business. And uh, that was exciting as all get out because a three wheel motorcycle, not obvious to folks, but you have a, a group, you know, you're not trying to satisfy everybody. You're really trying to find those individuals that you can really wow with it. And uh, it's really worked out. Well, Jay Leno on an Air Force base is probably a good way to do it. <laughs> uh, it was a it was a home run event, most memorable of my career, to be honest. I, uh, the whole uh, that whole sequence. I actually think that's really interesting that you say that. You know, we we recorded a couple episodes what, a month or so ago, and one of the themes that kept coming up was that um, you know your team or your product often isn't for everybody. When you try to try to make every single person happy, a lot of times you end up with a with a less than good product. Right. And honestly, that's, yeah. that's really apparent. So I ride motorcycles and, um, you know, my dad and I do these cross country motorcycle trips and been to Sturgis a couple times and stuff. And it, it's, it's interesting because you're right. A three wheel motorcycle, especially with the two wheels in front, the suspensions, it, it's different. Right. But, yeah. but entirely different ride, but you can't ignore it. Right. Because even if it's not for you, it was there and it made a dent and it probably got a whole bunch of people on the road into those rallies and out in the hills and stuff that wouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. So we found out just through understanding people. I mean, we had folks in some of our, uh, you can call them focus groups. They were actually riding qualitative events where people got to ride it. And you had both men and women who were emotional. You had, wow. uh, because of course, motorcycling tends to be dominated by, uh, by males, uh, just in terms of buying set and what have you. But very often uh, they want permission from a spouse or they need permission from a spouse or what have you. And you had folks who weren't allowed, so to speak, or didn't get their, that authorization to be able to ride a two-wheeler. And yet they missed it. They missed it so much. And we had folks literally crying because they said, wow, this gives me a, a chance to access the road. And likewise, for women who chose not to ride on their own, now this, in for those who had chosen not to before, obviously there are a lot of women who do ride a motorcycle, but for those who had chosen not to, this said, now I can go out riding with my husband or friends or whoever it happens to be. And uh, so again, it's it's about trying to find, like you said, those, those scripts. You're not trying to please everybody, but can you really delight the heck out of some folks mm and make it an emotional experience, then you know you got something. I love the idea of the man crying, being like, you figured it out. She said, yes, I can ride. Like, yeah, <laughs> But yeah. you probably actually opened the market to people that have injuries and stuff too, maybe, right? Like maybe people that, that you know, suffered loss of limbs and things like that that couldn't uphold the, the weight of a regular two-wheel motorcycle. I hadn't even thought about that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, and and of course, you didn't. We didn't. We wanted to make it cool too, right? You had to find a way that uh, those same folks didn't feel that they were on a uh, a bike that would get snickers. That had to get po people that you know it, it evoked a reaction, a positive yeah. reaction. Um, and so we we focused on that. We focused on making sure people didn't have to concentrate on whether they had injuries or some problem riding or whatever. It was like, nah, just you just fit in. You fit in as much as uh, as much as you can. Now, you're not going to fit in with all crowds, but you can still have a product that makes you feel good. So, and, I was sorry, I was just going to say, Chris, how did you find your way to Sunrun? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'd been at uh, BRP for 18 years, or almost 18 years, um, and had a chance as I was leaving, uh, my last role upon leaving, I was head of a $3.5 billion division of the company. We had 
I was, it was everything focused on sales, marketing, distribution, service around the world. So we, were, we had uh, distribution in 105 countries. We had direct operations in 22 countries. And so that's what I was overseeing at the time. And weren't you living um, out of country and, too uh, at that time? Like, weren't you, didn't you hop around uh, quite not a bit? At the very end, I was living in Montreal. Okay. Uh, so that was where the head office, or very close to where the head mm. office is. But prior to that, I was living in Switzerland uh, in, for four years. Um, and, uh, but, you know, at that time, we had, we had been private as a company for 10 years. Bain Capital had taken us private together with the Bombardier family and the uh, Quebec Pension Fund. And... Suddenly, we were back as a public company. Uh, things had gone really, really well. And very personally, I was at that moment where, you know, uh, as I evaluate my career options, it was, you know, where can I have some additional impact? Where can I find some more passion? Um, and my wife as well was interested. She's American and wanted to get uh, back to the U.S. And so that's when we thought, you know what, California would be one of these places that we'd want to come out and uh, try maybe a startup. Uh, so I initially came out to join a startup, uh, Icon Aircraft. Um, and then uh, subsequent to that, I had a chance to meet uh, Lynn um, just through folks that knew us both and connected us. Uh, and the connection was uh, very strong in terms of the same philosophy or many of the same philosophies, many of the same ideas. I felt that uh, I mean, there's so much to be impressed by both of Lynn and Ed and the management team, that it really just uh, drew me in. And so that's how I got connected to Sunrun. And uh, frankly, it was, it was um, uh, at the time, it was less about renewables or, or uh, even climate change at the time, just to be perfectly uh, upfront, that intrigued me. But it was much more about the people and the change they wanted to make and how I could see myself fitting into that change. And so since you've started, your position as chief operating officer I think a lot of our sales reps, you know, they they have heard that title before, that, but they maybe don't understand exactly what that means or what your daily kind of impact on the business end is. Could you just sort of define like what your role is in your mind with the company and kind of how you make a daily impact? Yeah, sure. So... And, and as might happen over time as your role evolves or the impact you, you have evolves. But uh, so prior to uh, the, the coming together of Sunrun and Vivint, um, a lot of what we focused on was to tr improve how we operated as an organization. And one of the key insights we had was the fact that we um, operated too much in silos or too much as independent entities across the organization. And so a large part of my role was to bring those groups together. Uh, that was sales. That was uh, the mid-funnel customer operations team. It was the field operations team. It was supply chain, et cetera. Uh, just to, to, because as we know this industry, more than anything else I've ever worked in before, you cannot operate as independent entities. Uh, it's a whack-a-mole problem that comes up. You fix something in one area, but some other problem comes up somewhere else. And again, I think it comes out of the fact that ultimately it's one customer going through a funnel and those people are having to interact uh, with many different groups across the organization, either directly or indirectly. And so everything has to be highly coordinated. And so my role when I took it on, I, I oversaw, uh, still do the, uh, the, we call it the direct field sales team. So that's not obviously the direct to home. 
um, but the, and as well as inside sales, uh, the marketing team, uh, the customer operations mid funnel, the, the project coordination group, et cetera, um, field operations, supply chain, and then AEE and Snap and Rack. Um, and so where it's evolved to now is, uh, especially because of the direct to home uh, uh, teams coming in and the, how the company is growing, is it's more operationally focused, but still some of the same, uh, well, passion, frankly, but also day-to-day uh, -day needs are there to make sure that we're highly coordinated as an organization, that we have a mindset towards that end consumer, what that end consumer is really wanting, and how we can all work as a group to making sure that we're delivering on that better than anybody else can deliver on it. So when this merger happened between Vivint Solar and Sunrun, I would you know, maybe imagine, I'm like imagining myself in your position, like you're just humming along, sun runs kicking butt. And all of a sudden Lynn says, Hey, we're going to acquire Vivint Solar. And I feel like she basically just took your perfectly uh, finished Rubik's cube that you have and just twisted it all back up and like handed it back to you. Is that, kind of, is that a good way to describe, uh, like, you uh, know, bringing these two massive forces together over the last 12 months? Yeah, so I mean, the good thing about even uh, how Lynn operates is it was very participative even at the idea stage. And so, you know, we, we had a chance to, to weigh in. But fundamentally, honestly, this is what the, the these are the challenges you crave, right? How do you, how do you actually say, yeah, one plus one is much more than two? How do you make sure, you know, how do you uh, create that next imbalance that then leads you to something that's much better in the future? And uh, and so and that was all the thinking that went in prior to even having a chance to meet the team from Vivint Solar. Once we got a chance to meet David and and Brendan and and Bill and others uh, across the team, we realized, wow, I mean, there's there's clearly something here. This is something where we can make this not only um, that uh, we can bring together the best of the ideas of these two companies, but we become the true face of solar and storage in the country. And that was exciting from day one. Yeah, I feel like it's it's interesting to hear you talk about um, you know the silos that you dealt with early on, because a couple of things. Number one, I think everybody that gets into solar and wants to play at a high level very quickly learns how difficult it is to systematize custom construction and utility projects. Right? Like, really, we have a system and a process for something that's different on every single house right so it's, in some ways it's like medicine yeah. it's like yeah it's a human body but they're all just dealing with such different things that it's kind of hard to have the perfect system for it but it's as as our companies have come together to make this one company it's interesting that we were working on a lot of the same problems right like kind of side by side like you guys right. were figuring out oh hey let's get all these together and like move them down the chain and and we were right behind you trying to kind of figure that out and so it's funny because in a lot of ways now it makes sense it's like, why not, we're all doing solar at a high level. We have complementing strengths. Let's do this together. And it's funny to hear you say that Lynn was collaborative because we like to think we're pretty collaborative in sales and it blindsided every single one. Maybe there's a reason you tell sales the secret last because it doesn't remain a secret very long. But, but it's yeah, We it's, found out one hour before the news broke. Yeah. And that was about so. enough time so that everybody <laughs> knew before the news broke, actually. But um, it's interesting to me that you were definitely not in the green energy space before, right? Like kind of like recreational, yeah. like 
fun machines, even like personal aircraft, stuff like that. Bywater talks about joining solar for a similar reason that you did, like liked the project, saw the opportunity, good people, and describes himself as being an active, uh, what do you call him? Accidental activist, right? Yeah. Like kind of got yeah. uh, united with the cause. Do you identify with that? Do you feel like you came for yeah, the opportunity totally. and then became like a lover of the cause as a secondary function? Yeah, kinda? very much so. Actually, you know, it's interesting. So uh, first in, in the, the power sports area, it's, it's not for almost to a person, it's not because it's powered by fossil fuel that people like it. Right. It's the fact, it's the emotion around the whole experience. Yes. It just happens to be powered by fossil fuel because that's what they can trust and that's how the technology emerged. But it's really about people who are engaged in something that makes them really, really happy and lets them get rid of their worries. They have a trust, they have an affiliation with others because they have uh, bought into a certain brand or a certain product category or joined a certain riding group or whatever. And that's what attracted me even to power sports was the emotion that people had talking about snowmobiles. You could go to a snowmobile event and people would talk your ears off for hours about their affinity for Skidoo and, and, mm -hmm. and at the time that they had spent snowmobiling and some of their memories snowmobiling, good and bad. Right. And, and that's what I connected with most. So coming here into this space, for sure, the fact that the mission really is game changing and it means better for the world is really galvanizing. But what also grabs me a lot is just how powerful it is, even emotional for a lot of people, even inside the company, right? I think we have a, we're fortunate in Sunrun that we get to punch above <laughs> our weight in terms of the quality of individuals that come work at Sunrun because of the mission, because of the cause. And I've had more than a few people be uh, telling me as they talk about their time with Sunrun that the reason that they joined and stayed predominantly is to be on the right side of history. And yeah, that's motivating to me. That actually uh, really talks to me. When, when I'm talking to the sales teams, and I'm sure Ty has similar messages, but we will, we're always selling the opportunity of working at Sunrun and in the solar industry. And, uh, you know, like I've, I've said, before like you know when you're thinking about your career what you want to do for your career you want to be in a, in a really exciting space something that really gets you excited every day and then you want to make sure once you've made that decision that you're working with the best company in that space and then that you're working in the best market and so on and so forth all the way down so i've you know my message is always look solar is the most exciting space you can be in right now and then sunrun is the best most exciting company in that space why do you feel like solar is the most exciting space you could be in right now? And then, of course, why is Sunrun the best opportunity in that space? Yeah, so good, good questions. I mean, for me, the, um, the fact that solar uh, is not only at the forefront of many consumers' minds, like, I mean, it is, it's gone from an obscure concept many years ago to fast forward to something that literally you can almost ask anyone in the country about and they'll have some kind of opinion on. Right. It's not that they say, oh, I'm not sure I haven't heard of solar. No, people have heard of solar. And we know from the research that's been done that eight or nine out of 10 express some future interest in having solar. And yet uh, in having solar on their houses, for instance, or having some benefit from solar and yet the industry is only two to 3% penetrated. So we, there's not many industries that you can get into 
when it's at two to three percent penetration and the potential is enormous to have that become 30, 40 percent, 50 you know, inside of a reasonable time period. I don't know if that's uh, 15 years, 20 years, but that means it's an enormous opportunity. Then uh, the part on Sunrun is, as you said, I mean, to me, you right off the gates, you're if you can get in with the top player, the one that has the most brand recognition, that is the one that the whether it's regulators or lawmakers or others, we always get invited to the table. And we're always getting invited to the table, not just because we're number one, but actually it's because of the people behind it. And that's the thing that I've always looked for in any opportunity for me is, are the individuals behind it? Is this a sharp group of individuals? Are they passionate? Are they going, to, they have that, that compass, that, uh, that compass to guide us to a strong future. And in this case, to me, it's clearly yes. Uh, the fact that we not only have a sense of where the market's gonna go, that we have a sense for electrification, we have ideas for product categories beyond just solar and storage for the future, but also that we have a very sharp mindset on becoming uh, the preeminent player where other companies, even outside of solar, talk about us, talk about how efficient we are, how effective we are, and most importantly, how well we do with the customer. That's That to me is particularly meaningful and exciting. So if I'm a sales rep and I know that, you know, I keep hearing we have all these really talented people at the top of the company making all these really good decisions, What's the trickle down effect that that has for me as a sales rep that's out knocking on doors on a random, you know, on a Tuesday? Like how, how do those decisions at the top affect me on a daily basis when I'm out working? Yeah. So the very first thing I'd say is that uh, good people attract good people attract good people. And so I think the trickle down is the fact that the folks who are already with us tend to have been chosen by folks that are good because they themselves are good. So I hope there's that sense of, you know what, we're, we're on this ride together and we have a, a very sharp group of people, not just at the top and across the organization. In terms of the decisions themselves, it goes back to the fact that, you know, this is where it's hard. In the day-to-day, -day, you know, as you're, you're out and, and maybe it just hasn't been a great day and there's, you know, we've missed a few, we've lost a few, we've had a few complaints, what have you. Uh, it can be hard to, to pick yourself up from that day-to-day, -day, you know, in the, in the trees moment to take a look at the forest. The forest perspective is over months and quarters and years, you, you at least from my vantage point, when you bet on the, the best opportunity, the biggest uh, 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 player in the industry, the one that has the most promise, those decisions that we can be making today and tomorrow often won't have effect for another few months because it takes time to implement. But it's the idea that I know this thing will get better. I have confidence that this thing will keep on getting better and better. And that I can also, frankly, be part of the solution set. I can be part of, of talking about different ways to make us better and can see the, the fruits of that down the road. What do you think, Chris, are some of the, the most urgent things that the industry needs to figure out? Like what are some of the, maybe some of the problems that we face, like the high level problems and some of the efficiencies that are coming? Because you talk about seeing the forest through the trees yeah. and that's like admittedly, oftentimes the people that are in the neighborhoods, that's hard, right? Because they, yeah, they, they're, 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 they're yeah, it's, it's the game that they're in right now, right? So it's hard to step back and I look totally at a career. Understand. So yeah, maybe from your from where you sit, what does the industry need to figure out and what's coming? 
yeah, so good question. I, I mean, at, at its most fundamental, and, and this is something that Mary uh, is, uh, Mary, the, our new CEO, is, is working on um, and really evangelizing, is that focus on the, the end consumer. Um, you know, we can think that we do some good work, but we know we have a long way to go, frankly, to truly delight the customer and to find a way that not just on the day of install, uh, not just at PTO, but a year or two years, three years down the road, that they have reason to still shout from the rooftop, so to speak, that they love Sunrun, that they love the experience that they've had. And so we know we've got a long way to go. And then if I broaden that to the industry, I think that's a real challenge. Um, because there is so much growth, because this has so much opportunity and financial opportunity for folks, there are risks that come into it and that we that different players might not do all the right things for the customer. And that can catch up and truly spoil uh, things for the industry as a whole. So if I have something in the nearer term that I'm most watchful for, and again, Mary, I think will be the perfect evangelist for this is, is that customer experience just broadly and, uh, and how we make sure we have uh, delight for those customers. The other part that I think will be challenging, but also really intriguing is I mentioned is only two to 3% penetrated, just doing solar, never mind even storage. And then, but add the complexity of storage, already we can see how much challenge that brings us. Now, if you get to even further electrification of the home, which is what we think is a, the key opportunity, the natural opportunity, the natural follow on, both as a benefit to customers, it's a benefit internally for us, it's a, it's a clear benefit from a climate change perspective, that uh, that complexity is extremely hard to manage. And so how do we go down the path of, of ensuring that we can get there as an industry, that we can provide these benefits in the form of products and the services that go with them to customers, but do it in a way that is manageable? This goes back to another reason, uh, Adam, why Sunrun though, right? Which is you, you want those people who not only have been thinking about this, but also have the wherewithal to go and invest in it in the future, to be able to, to uh, develop plans, to be able to understand, wait a minute, the next iteration is one thing we have solar and storage right now, but the future iterations, we need to prepare for those things. Um, our uh, our uh, agreement and partnership with Ford is another example of that with EV chargers and what have you. Is how, how do we expand uh, these opportunities for customers to really be delighted by what we do? How much of your time do you think about, like, and, and you've spent time in Canada, so I'm assuming you're a hockey fan, uh, which, by the oh, way, are you a Canadians fan? Oh, yes. Oh, God. 100%. Yeah, yeah. See, Adam uh, here is know, from Adam, Boston. I was a Bruins season ticket holder for four years. So. Adam here thinks everything that comes out of Boston is the best, Chris. That's what you're dealing with right now. So. Yeah. I mean, it's been what? Well, I can tell you. It's been 180 I, days since our last title. So. <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, I had I, we lived in Boston for uh, six years, and I had to be a Canadians fan in Boston. <laughs> Brutal. But, uh, one of our closest friends, who's godfather to our daughter, uh, is that deep 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 Bruins fan so it can work that you can still be friends there you go <laughs> well there's the saying that you always want to go where the puck's going right not chasing the puck right. so the Ford partnership yep. seems like one of those let's go where the puck's going type decisions or stripe type strategies do you have any of those strategies or you know decisions that you can share with us that 
we'll kind of give our guys like, oh, dang, that's going to be awesome or any of those types of things? Or is that all hush, hush, secret stuff that we can't hear about just yet? Well, I, I think the you know, the stuff that we've already talked about is is the Ford type of example or further electrification. And that's, you know, at, at the more macro level or the company level, that's that's where we're trying to go to. I think grid services just generally was another example of that, where, you know, you have to be a few steps ahead because these programs uh, take many years to come together and actually start to take effect. The stuff, though, that, you know, if we just look at our sales as a company that we are trying to do is um, is back to what I mentioned earlier. And it's how can we, in service to the customer need, in benefit to the customer, how do we get more and more and more efficient? And how do we ensure that we're delivering? The, and by the way, that'll have residual benefit. It'll have a residual benefit to that rep day to day. We're not there today, but it, it makes a big difference that the operations teams, for instance, understand that getting uh, to a permit submission, getting to an install is really important. How fast can we compress, or how much, excuse me, can we compress that time for the customer to the point where it's not something that you're saying to a customer, well, it might get installed in three, four months. No, how do we get it down to 30 days? How do we get it down to something that is truly uh, exciting for the customer and importantly, exciting for the rep to be able to share with the customer. Suddenly it's not, hey, it might be coming down the road. It's, are you available on this day that we can come and install your system? Mm. Uh, now we have a ways to go to get there, especially in different places around the country. There's even just permitting timelines that don't allow that. But that's where a, another example of skating to where the puck is is the solar app working on uh, the idea of instant permitting, getting rid of these loopholes, or, or, or pardon me, not the loopholes, the, the um, administrative soft costs, but the, the things that slow us down uh, for, again, getting the customer what they've asked for. Trying to work on those big problems together with other industry players is yet another example of how I think we are skating to where the puck is going. Mm. I wanted to ask you about our new CEO, Mary Powell. Um, I'm a big sports guy, so uh, everything to me is a sports analogy. But uh, I was thinking about you know Mary coming from another industry into our company. It's a big company. This isn't like you know you're you're becoming a CEO of like a startup or whatever. This is a huge company and the biggest company in the solar space. I always think of like new quarterbacks on new teams, especially rookie quarterbacks, where I think sometimes the moment feels too big for them, like. The NFL season just started. There's five rookie quarterbacks starting on teams right now in the NFL. And like four out of five played, you know, pretty poorly. And the moment almost just felt too big for them. And then you had one quarterback who played really, really well. And the moment didn't feel too big for him. So when you think about Mary, could you give us some examples of, I guess, I'm assuming, and from everything that I've heard and we've heard, the moment has not felt too big for her at all. But do you have any examples of that you could share with us where she's just come in and just been really impressive or just impressed you with some things that she's done? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think Mary is a fantastic uh, choice for CEO. I think she is going to have a big impact uh, at, for this next phase of growth uh, for the company. And again, uh, back to the passion point that 
she has in particular, above everything else, is that customer focus, is that customer understanding, is a customer experience. Um, and if, if anything that's uh, perhaps impressed me at first, it's been that component of it. Uh, she is very, very focused on it and reminds uh, everyone about that focus on the customer uh, at every chance she gets. Now, she also understands and she's pragmatic. She's been uh, you know, around the block, so to speak, to understand that these things can take time. It's not that we're promising things that we can activate immediately, but the focus of the organization uh, becomes really important if you want to make a big, huge step forward, again, towards customer experience. So that uh, the second component then beyond that focus on customer experience is the, the, um, the mindset. She's got uh, a, a wealth of experience that she has had. And so being able to come in and say, look, I've, I've dealt with this before. I've seen some of this and be able to give some clear rationale for actions that she would like to take. Um, and I see it almost on a daily basis now, maybe you know, every few days. Uh, towards those examples, it gives you the confidence that, yeah, this we're, we're going to be able to pick up from where Lynn has taken the company, Lynn and Ed, and be able to continue on with the next focus on, again, the customer experience and, and doing well operationally. Chris, I have a question for you about um, kind of some of your methods. So one of the benefits to, to companies this size and the merge is um, – you know, we get to work with different, Adam and I and our Salesforce get to work with different executives. And every experience with a different executive or executive team is an opportunity and mentorship for us. And every leader that we've had has been the right leader at the right time for the company, for the phase to get to. And I feel very fortunate for that. And I hope our listeners take a second to recognize that because a lot of the work that you do directly benefits the day-to-day lives of the guys. Um, so I want to talk about, I've been impressed as I've come into this company and seen you work on how you, how you actually operationalize things. I'm interested in what are some of the methods or maybe the systems that you have that the, the sales leaders can, op, can implement in their own lives? I, to, while you think about it, one of the examples is the, the OKR process. That might seem like second nature to you. I've never seen anything like that. And so... You know, we're used to getting together and being like, hey, we got to tell the company that they need this. But to have the company come to us and say, these are the things that we've identified as key initiatives. What do you think? Okay, and here's the 30, 60, 90 day plan. It's been thoroughly impressive. And a lot of our guys don't get to see that. And I know that that's kind of the way you operate. So if you could take a second and just walk through some of the methods that you used to, to actually get these ideas to implementation. Yeah, sure. So um, from just over the years, I mean, as I've worked in different environments, I've worked overseas and what have you, um, you, you get to at least be exposed to a lot of really good ideas that never make it anywhere. Right. And to my mind, the, the trick day to day is is entirely on execution. And how do you find that balance between not micromanaging everybody? you got to be able to give people the opportunity to take personal initiative, to take personal accountability and to grow, but to have enough checks and balances or oversight that you make sure things are moving along and that we're not getting bogged down in either overanalyzing situations or in other things that might be going on. It might be you know bureaucratic process, unnecessary administrative uh, steps that we're going through, things of that nature. And so what we 
you know, from the standpoint of, of the OKRs, as an example, the OKRs is, is actually <clears throat> something that was developed by John Doerr, I believe, or at least, you know, codified by him uh, in a book. Uh, that says, is called Measure What Matters. Um, and so it's about objectives and key results. But the fundamentals are actually pretty basic. And it really is about stating, okay, these are the goals that I'm going to set out. Uh, and I, I want to I put them down. I want to then share them with other groups around the organization and make sure that together we're aligned on the most important priorities that really will make a difference in the future. And then for each of those goals, I'm going to list out a few, four or five, not eight, 10, 12, but four or five steps that are going to give me a clear indication that I am making progress towards that goal. And so that means progress gets defined as those things that are truly uh, itemized in terms of a quantification, like what metric am I using? What time frame am I using? Uh, what other means do I have to get the job done? Like, what's the how it's going to get done? Do I make sure that I've got that clearly laid out? Uh, and so, you know, in a broad sense, that OKR, I think, is a really good crystallization of uh, making sure that you're tracking progress and you're constantly focused and making sure others around the organization understand what you're focused on, but constantly focused on making progress. Yeah, I think um, to put it in kind of as I'm as I'm hearing you, what a lot of our sales leaders are great at is they're great at vision, they're great at motivation, they're great at being competitive, uh, they're great at chasing an opportunity. The piece that you just mentioned is not inherent in a lot of us, right? And so I actually want to spend a second and maybe put this in there, sales speak, and say, okay, say you know you you, you identify a key objective. So in sales, maybe if you were going to run a team, you and Adam are going to be co-managers. All right, you might have to live in Boston. Sorry about that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you, uh, you, know, you would set a goal to be, what would be a goal there? Like, okay, we want to run a successful sales team. All right, there's your objective, right? So the thing that we often don't see is that next step. Okay, what is a successful sales team? Well, maybe, yeah. and, and if you, you yeah, and if you guys have a different view of it, you're going to have conflict. So if Adam thinks successful sales team is 100 and you think it's 200 installs a quarter, right? So getting on the same page and saying, we think successful sales teams would be 250. That's the flagship division, whatever. We'd be, we'd be competing with the top that feels successful. Okay, by when? Okay, and how many people will we need? And what would their average per rep have to be? There's a start, right? It, it's, it's been really refreshing to me to see that the business runs that way. And a lot of our guys don't necessarily see it because they don't sit in those meetings. But when I get, for our last like sales leadership powwow, we basically took the OKRs. And because we get the text messages at 11 p.m. saying, hey, we got to fix this. Hey, we need a better loan product. And it's like, okay, what, what would you like me to do about it at 11.15 on a Thursday night? Right. This is a random thought. Right. And, and, and so what I saw, what we did is we took yours and we said, Hey, let me go through the priorities of the business and the timelines. And afterwards we said, what's missing from this list? And no one had anything to add. And what you had done is you had operationalized and planned and set goals for everything that we knew needed to be fixed. But you kind of, you and your team took it and made a plan out of it. Right. So how, Maybe as a as a takeaway, how do you how do you pick the right priorities? Because especially in your role, there's a million operational things that you could focus on, and they'd all be good. How do you pick those mm-hmm. top five or top three? 
Yeah, well, there's 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 the approach that says to answer that directly. There's the approach that says, okay, to the extent that you can quantify the benefit, that's what we try to go for, right? Okay. We try and say, okay, look, let's be let's not just leave it to guesswork because you're right. The the problem in almost any company I've been part of is there, there's ideas everywhere. And then everyone will inflate their expectations of what they think the outcome is. Oh, I'm sure that's a 20 megawatt opportunity if we do X, Y, Z. We don't do that. Well, somebody else might look at that thing and say, no, that's a three megawatt opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have to try and get precise and, and cut through. There has to be the intellectual honesty as to, wait a minute, really? Is that something worth pursuing? And is it going to be able to have the same type of impact or a better impact than something else we can devote those resources to? Um, the second part of it is a bunch of instinct. Does this feel like, you know, if I if I don't have the data, if I don't want to spend uh, churning number of hours for teams to work through all of the analytics behind this, can we intuit the fact that as a collective, we think, yeah, this is the right thing to focus on. And then you can make a faster decision around it. The, the prioritization, I mean, at various times, you'll you'll move between those two methodologies. More analytics to prove out something really makes sense, especially if it's got a big opportunity cost. By opportunity cost, I mean, where else can you deploy those resources instead of doing this? Um, or if you actually have to spend a bunch of money, let's say on technology, well, you have to spend a bunch of money doing it. Well, you want to make sure you're making the right bet on that. Um, but the, the other side is more intuition. And it's saying, look, this just feels like the thing we need to focus mm -hmm. on. Uh, because we'll never have enough data to be able to prove one way or the other. So then we're just going to make a choice. And if I could add on, Ty, I mean, just as your example the, the, that I hope could become relevant, there's the what makes for a great sales team, as a, as a for instance. And I think there's a lot that, you know, that is just in, back to intuition, a lot that you, you all are just experts at already. You're experts. And you can put together a bit more structure uh, to saying, okay, what are those? What are the, the subcomponents of a truly great team that I'm going to put down, and in 30 days I'm going to have achieved this, or 60 days I'm going to achieve that. Another couple of examples would be that are much more cross-functional are um, either realization rates or cancellation rates. Right? Yeah. What proportion of customers are going to cancel on us, or look more optimistically, are, are we going to realize those projects all the way through to install? That makes Frankly, once you have the customer in the funnel and they are already presumably happy, we get so much more benefit out of realizing that incremental project. And so we have a big benefit towards actually having that as a huge goal. Now, that goal, however, involves all of these teams, sales, customer operations, install, the permitting team, the whole works, right? Now that's where that OKR really it becomes magic is because then if it's a shared OKR across teams and we all look at the list of subcomponents and we have some of them that we own in our own team, but some of them are shared across teams, but we're all focused on those same points. Then you start to realize the benefit of everyone pulling together. And I know it sounds almost cliche, but if it doesn't happen, it won't ever work. And in fact, quite the opposite. It is the secret sauce to execution is having all of those folks focused in on the same items. They believe in it, they believe it has an impact, and we're all moving the same direction. And the other example to that would be cycle times. Okay, it's not just one group or another that's gonna get cycle times down. How do we all work together to making sure that we are entirely focused on making an incredible customer experience, but also being as efficient as possible towards that install? 
Totally agree. Well, it's like spokes in the wheel. If one spoke gets bent, it makes the whole entire wheel wobble. We're, uh, yeah, totally. we're, um, I was thinking about when Ty was talking about uh, the different CEOs we've had and how each one's kind of taken us to a different phase. I kind of feel like at Vivint Solar, we're, I don't know if we as a sales force are going to have daddy issues or not, but I think we're on our sixth CEO now. <laughs> it's like we've had, you know, this normal? six different dads. <laughs> at Sunrun, I mean, how did you guys handle, like, go, you've only had one CEO the entire time, you know? And it's like, was everyone just like, what is happening right now? For us, we were just like, oh, cool, new CEO. Like, it's <laughs> like, happened uh, five other times <laughs> since we've started. Was everyone pretty, uh, everyone handled it pretty well? I think so. I mean, certainly the, the, there is a, an impact when you have the, in this case, the big difference is, is the founder, right? It's mm -hmm. Lynn yeah. uh, that's been CEO for however long. And I, I think there's an emotional impact, but the reality is that Lynn and Ed aren't going anywhere, right? right? They are staying on their co-executive chair, uh, chair people, and they are uh, still very uh, focused and invested in the future of the company from the standpoint of really wanting to see it succeed. Um, and, uh, and so Mary comes in and they get to, to each play their individual role to their, you know, uh, Lynn used the term zone of genius, but to where they're really excellent, what they're excellent at, they each have their, um, their part. Well, and so I think, sorry, I was going to, sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say for me, it's like a, like a, like an NFL football team. Lynn was almost head coach, GM and owner of the one team. Right. And, you know, she's brought in a really, really good GM or head coach, whatever you want to call it. But what a, it kind of leads me to my next question, which with Lynn and Ed still highly involved and of course with Mary and, you know, we talk about how each CEO has kind of taken at least Vivint Solar and our company to a different stage. What are the headwinds you see just for the solar industry in general that this all-star group is going to be kind of tackling over the next few you know years or maybe in the long term even? Uh, so in that, you know, I guess the, the, uh, counterpoint to awesome opportunities with low penetration rates and huge growth prospects is all the challenges that go with a lot of growth, right? So you have the challenges of right now, the supply chain around the world, everyone's heard or has been talked about the semiconductor challenges, the challenges obviously with the lasting impacts from COVID shutting down major ports and shipping lanes and what have you. So there's there's those challenges that eventually go away. But in the meantime, they're they're pretty painful to try and navigate. Uh, thankfully, I've, I feel like we have a really strong team to, to get us an optimized result. But but it, of course, it's going to be challenging. Um, the uh, the other headwinds, uh, you know, go back to that customer experience. I think, you know, if if we if you accept the uh, analogy of the golden goose, you know, if, if there's enough other players out there that spoil that and just go after um, the quick win or the quick buck, so to speak, uh, that will really have lasting damage to the industry because you've got regulators and lawmakers come in and impose rules, mm. impose oversight, slow us down, et cetera. Um, you know, I, I think as a company, we're taking uh, the right steps and there are other players who are taking the right steps too. This is not just us, but there, you know, I think there's some 4,000 installers in the country, 
Um, and so you can quickly see how this could go the wrong way. Um, and uh, so I, I think that's something that we just have to uh, have to watch. Chris, what's your favorite book? Favorite book? Um, so actually, you know what? I, I was deep into a lot of uh, both um, books on uh, business and strategy and what have mm -hmm. you through the early parts of my career. And, uh, and now I've, I've, I go back to them. I actually scan a couple of them. There was Radical Candor. Uh, there was um, uh, a, a book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy that I'll flip back to. Um, but now I'm, I'm less focused on, on those business books. And then the other passion that I had for a while was on World War II. So mm -hmm. I was reading various uh, books on uh, World War II and D-Day and what have you. Um, but other than that, uh, very focused on family, frankly. Sure. It's interesting. I, I found the same thing. Like a lot of times, um, I'll go through like, like leadership books and like kind of content heavy books for a while. And then sometimes I just need a break and I want to like read a biography about someone that I think is interesting or something. And it's funny that sometimes those books give me the best ideas. Like mm -hmm. you ever have that where you're yeah. reading a book on something that you're interested in, like history, like you mentioned, and you're like, Hey, that's a, the way they executed that is actually, that gives me an idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love Yeah, I mean, for World War II, a lot of it was Churchill and, yeah. you know, there's, yep. there's yeah. a lot to be inspired by, yeah. uh, but from some of the leadership aspects back in, in that time as well. So I agree. Totally agree. Well, most of my strategy is purely based on the Harry Potter novels. We know. So yeah, that's, no. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much my entire strategy out there on the East Coast, Chris, just FYI. <laughs> You'll see it next week. Good. Okay. Well, that's how you're making magic happen. Yep, that's, that's good. how we're doing it. That's it. Hey, well, we're uh, we're going to let you get back to the important work, and thank you for hanging out with us for the last hour or so. But it's been really insightful to hear your take on the industry. To It, it gives us a lot of confidence to know that someone as capable as you and your team is kind of at the helm steering us operationally. And it, it, it does. It gives us a lot of confidence. It gives us a lot to look forward to. It gives us a lot to speak to our teams about. It, it's crazy because you think like, because it's in your head and you talk about this all the time, you're like, oh, okay, I hope that added value. But for us hearing it and our reps yeah. that never get to hear it, they have very basic questions that to hear like, hey, this is where the industry is going. And even to hear that, hey, there's 4,000 installers, we're the largest one, like stuff like that is like, it's it's deeply meaningful to them. We get texts all the time for being like, hey, this from this podcast. And I'm like, man, I I don't even remember mm -hmm. that. And they're like, no, you got to go back to like seven minute mark and listen. Yep. It happens all the time. So it, it's, a, it's a very big value add. You spoke to like 4,000 people today. So it was very helpful. Yeah, it's cool. Actually, and the other, you know, it's funny. The other one was that I, I would have mentioned or Adam I'd mentioned next week is, you know, you mentioned the text you get at 1115 at night or something. And I know it, there can be something on a product, but it can be something on, hey, somebody in another department's not doing something. Yeah. It's like, okay, but you know, let, let's create the link that you guys can just talk. Like, yeah. how do we work together as well? Mm -hmm. So back to creating those shared priorities. There's the second side of this is there's how to resolve day-to-day -day problems and just working together because that's far more efficient than going up the chain and back down right. the other side. I'm sure resolving <laughs> daily conflict just amongst all your orgs is a big challenge just by itself. Just getting the kids to, yeah, just getting the yeah. kids to play in the sandbox together. Well, at least to be, you know, and, and uh, it is amazing over time. Like one of the things I think that we managed to um, to make a big impact on in the last few years, you know, pre-merger, pre right, uh, was 
was this sense that, that we, we have to be able to work together. And the strength of the organization is about people where you don't have to take the extra time to raise a problem and bring it back down the other side or anything. No, you just go and fix it. Mm. It's far more efficient for everybody. And it'll actually make you feel good that you had a, a part in, in solving a problem. Yeah, that's such a good point. And so it makes a huge difference for the organization to the extent that we can get folks to work together. Because it's it's also clear for, I don't know, it could be a, a sales rep, it could be a not, they can't work alone. They just can't. They they have to solve this together because one isn't going to do the other's job. Yep. Yeah. So, so we have to make this work together. Hey, that point of feeling good once you solve the problem, because, you know, one of the things that we'll often say is, and it's going to sound selfish and I don't intend it to, but we always say, hey, don't just create more work for me. Like if you're having a problem, like how often, I mean, how often do we text you at 11.15 at night saying, hey, Dawson, this thing is, we just would never do that because what are you going to do about 11.15 right. other than worry and get stressed out and you should be sleeping or whatever? And so the, the, the higher skill is, hey, I've identified a problem. Here's a potential solution. Can you connect me? That is so, there's so much mm -hmm. energy in that because you feel like you're in control and then you're proud that you contributed. But if you just sit back and constantly about the problem, it's very like... It's, 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 it's almost like it takes your power away. You know what I mean? Yeah. And actually, and, and the other part of irony is I think people believe by creating more of a mountain out of something. In other words, I'm going to make it into a bigger problem or I'm going to raise it faster because I can go. I know I have a better relationship with my own direct boss. Mm -hmm. It could be any one of us. It could be, that, that somehow lighting a fire is going to create a better long-term outcome then if I get to solve the problem, it might be more time, a little more energy for me to solve the problem in the short term, but I'm going to buy so much goodwill and I'm going to have a much better understanding of the process that it'll make it easier each and every time after that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's, this in. Yeah, it's when you get a bunch of people involved, that's when negative feelings start creeping in too. You're like, dude, why did you go to my boss about this? Like, why right. do you go to this person about this? Like, yeah, why exactly. don't you just come talk to me? You know? Right. So I'm sure that's, uh, I mean, we deal with that every day as well. So it's, oh, of it's course. a challenge. Sure well, and a lot of times the answer is, hey, I'm going to forward this to the same person that you would have forwarded exactly. it to. But now you don't have a relationship exactly. with this person. Yeah, and I, now you haven't developed the, the, the skill set or the acumen to be able to solve this problem. It is well. great when, when like a rep will email us about someone like another rep or a manager on another team. And we'll literally just forward it. To, we'll just reply all and add the manager from the other team. Be like, hey, Richard. This is uh, how you so, solve the problem. So and so has a question. <laughs> yeah. Give him a buzz. <laughs> you know, yeah, and exactly. the person that emailed and, and you was like, "Why did you do that? Why did you? Yeah, what do you want me to do with it? <laughs> yeah. Hold it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and you're asking them the same person who sent it to actually work with that other person. Yeah. So it's basically you just added three steps in the process. Right. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that you don't ever raise an issue. Obviously, there are times when you need to escalate. And I get it. When you're not getting the type of solution, you're not getting the type of responsiveness, other things of that nature. Totally buy that. But yes, I do think the strength of this organization six months from now, a year from now, a year and a half from now, will be in how these groups from the front end sales organization right through to install and post PTO are just t entirely in sync and solving our own problems, that the decisions are made locally, that folks are being able to really solve a lot of the issues and build the business and the customer experience at that local level, man, then we'll be unbeatable. Well, and we're, we're moving towards that. Like we see that, especially with some of the recent org changes I that agree. I think you're referring to, where 
that's all they actually want, right? They, I don't think people want their boss to solve their problem. They do that when they feel helpless. So we had this rule. It's like, it's a basic rule that I keep learning. But when we ran summer teams, the person, we would go out to dinner as a team every Saturday night. And without doubt, every time, every weekend, there was always someone that had a problem with the restaurant. So guess who the new restaurant picker is? right? It's, hey, you got a problem with the restaurant? I got a job for you. You can be the designated <laughs> restaurant picker. Right. He's happy. Exactly. I'm happy. Team's indifferent. It's great. You know, yeah. but I do see that, that that is coming as something positive for our leadership to look forward to is, hey, your, your, your responsibility is going to expound and we're going to um, empower you guys and trust you to resolve these because frankly, you know the market better than I do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally agree. And and again, you know, this is something that it, I think it's a it's part growing pains, but part active leadership, right? That we say, yeah, this is the right way to go is to is to bring this decision making, let's say, to the local level, or to let people feel empowered at the local level in this solving their issues. And and once people get a sense that this is okay and this is encouraged and this actually leads to better outcomes, it becomes it, it feeds on itself yeah. over time. Thanks for sharing with us today. Anything to add? Chris, this has been awesome, man. Very really awesome. appreciate it. And looking Thank forward to hanging out with you next week. <clears throat> Thanks, yeah, Chris. We'll get, you out on, we'll get you out on the doors and getting them. I'm gonna send awesome. them right to I'm gonna send them right to Everett with Dawn. Right to the belly of the beast. Right to the belly of the beast. Right on. Perfect. Love it. Thanks, Chris. I'm looking forward to doing the same with you guys, Ty. Yeah, we'd love to All have right, you. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. And thank you guys for tuning Likewise. in. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.